Hey, I'm Alan McGuire. And I'm Sarah Griffin. And this is Juvenalia, a podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a bit of pop culture that was important to them when they were young. Our guest today is comedian, DJ, podcaster, millennial triple threat, Alexandra Haddow. Welcome to the show. Hello. God, that makes that makes me sound very millennial, doesn't it? I know. I mean, we're all, we'll we're all two thirds of the way there. Like, yeah, yeah. Accidental yeah. DJ, I would say. <laughs> yeah. But successful DJ. Accidental but successful. Yeah. The best way <laughs> best way into anything that you like doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh you're gonna talk to us about Robin Williams, which is very exciting. Uh because I started researching this yesterday and today and realized I care deeply about him. I get quite emotional yeah. when I think about him, which didn't really hit me. So I guess tell us how he came into your life first. Oh yes. You, he's someone I get very emotional about. Sorry, that's what I thought uh, about as well. I think I think the first time I came well I think the first time I came across him inadvertently was the genie in Aladdin mm. I think I was probably just too young to really know who he was at that time um and but I do remember my mum and dad like that was the first Disney film that my mum and dad were really excited to watch as well like with us because I mean not that they didn't like them but you know it's not not as excited as a kid um, mm. um because they were excited that Robin Williams was was in it um yeah yeah, and so and then it was, I think it was, I think it was Jumanji first, and then Mrs. Doubtfire, um, and so that was that. That's the trifecta, and then I sort of, you know, as I got older and I got into comedy, I started. I I didn't realize that he was a stand-up comedian until too late, really. As in, like, mm. I sort of, I sort of thought he was just a comedy actor for a long time, and then you know, then delved into all these incredible vaults of him doing stand-up and and more than that even even though he's a phenomenal stand-up I loved watching his appearances on talk shows I just thought he was mm. so because that's him really at his kind of most unrehearsed and I think him unrehearsed is the best version really yeah I think maybe one of the first I think probably the first thing I saw him in was Hook I would say because oh, yeah. we had that in video which I came out in 1991 but I think in terms of like not my favorite film, but films I've seen the most, it's like Hook and Grease. Yes, because my little brother was obsessed with Hook, so it used to be just on a loop in our house. I, I um, also watched Hook. I would say it that might be the t- the first time I encountered him, but in that he wasn't really a comedy character, so it d- it didn't really. No. Mm. Um. Yeah. That it might te- it might chronologically be Hook, which I rewatched at Christmas, and I rewatched Jumanji. Hence choosing Robin Williams for it because yeah. <laughs> I've had a bit of a as I do all the time with him because I love him so much I've, I've, I've had a recent renaissance of going through his mm. his back catalogue mm. um, is the boob box in Hook as traumatising as an adult as it was to me as a child <laughs> I think so yes it's yeah. the, the dropping in of the scorpion that scene mm. it was etched into my brain and do you know the, everyone knows the weird fact now right about the, the man in the boob box no. It's Glenn Close in drag. Really? Yeah. Wow, okay. Why, we don't know. But <laughs> when, And now when you look at it, I watched it with my boyfriend just before Christmas, and I said, that, that's a famous actress in drag. Who is it? And he was like, I have no idea. Like, And then I said, mm. Glenn Close, he was like, oh, I can see it now. But like, it's such a weird piece of trivia for that film. I don't know <laughs> yeah. why they did it. But yeah, the boo box is, is as traumatising, I think. Yeah, I think that's where I get my claustrophobia from. That and this one episode of Penn and Teller where they made a guy climb through tubes in the background of the episode for the entire episode. And then he got to the end, they were like, you have to go back backwards and they dropped rats in. And I was like, oh. I'm traumatized. I'm still traumatized by that. I 
it gives me hives to think about it. That's but that in the boo box, like horrible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely I, horrible. You, yeah, fully agree. Yeah. Um I mean, I think one of the very first things I saw besides Hook was him on Clive Anderson. Yeah. Uh, where he just like basically didn't sit down for the entire yeah. interview segment, just stood up and, and just performed to the crowd instead of and ignored Clive Anderson essentially for ten minutes. I don't um, think, yeah, I mean I bet Toronto yeah. hosts hated it, but we loved it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember being very confused by going to video shops and like seeing all these Robin Williams videos that were 18s and I was like what is this forbidden Williams content we're not allowed to see yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was a stand-up he was like a really blue stand-up originally blue. yeah yeah and and I think that the he does kind of transcend so many genres because who saw that stand-up and thought this guy is going to be a fantastic sort of children's film really <laughs> like you know mm. A fantastic children's actor. Even they probably just saw the, you know, the, the silly side of him, I guess. But it's yeah, mad, uh, a mad bridge to cross. I think when you yeah, see it, and like, I, like in the stand-up, yeah. what kind of stuff would he? In terms, because we know he's an incredible impressionist, and he was just such an like a deeply playful, charismatic figure, uh, just organically funny in his kind of communication and behavior. But what's the kind of arc of the stand-up? Like, what's the what's the tone? Like, what's he aside from being kind of slightly scandalous? What what does he do up there? I, I don't even know if there's an arc, would you say, Alan? I don't know how much you like. It's very, very scattershot. It's basically whatever's coming into his head at that mm. point. He might have a loose kind of structure, but like it's, he can't really be contained. It's just lots and lots of accents and characters, just this constant cycle of characters that he's doing. Yeah. Um. He might like, I remember I was listening to a podcast called Knowing Robin Williams by um, Christy Westgard and Dave Itzkoff. And they mentioned in one of his specials, he just comes out and sees a girl with pink hair in the front row. And instantly is like talking about the salmon girl and stuff. He's like straight into her and distracted for ages, like if I describe her pink hair. Um, so it's very, there's not a lot of comedians like him, I think, really. No, I think yeah. it's no coincidence that he, him and Billy Connolly were sort of um, very good friends, you know, because it was that kind of, that unplanned sort of element. Mm. That thing of, there's technically not a show. I mean, I'm sure, obviously, there was rehearsed bits and bits that they thought oh I'm on something there and then finessed it a million times over but it it's part of the art really is making it look like that um mm. I, you get the sense with him that he truly did not have a plan like it's no he was yeah he was just like a big like antenna just absorbing everything and then just filtering it out like there's that really famous story that like if comedians saw him come into the comedy store in LA they would not do any new material in front of him because he would like just absorb and pass it off on his own without even thinking because it was just he would just be moving so fast he would not think about where a joke was coming from in his head and would just be passing off loads of everybody else's jokes <laughs> on his own that's amazing i didn't know i'd never heard that but i can oh really yeah, yeah. and fully see that i can fully mm. yeah um and even i you know you have to be careful sometimes just i really love Catherine cohen um Mm. if you guys uh watched her special and things and i was so obsessed with it and i went to see her live and then i watched it on netflix that i started to adopt subconsciously like her, i didn't steal her jokes or anything i started to subconsciously adopt her mannerisms and stuff yeah. on stage and then i had to like after a couple of weeks sort of really think hang on i'm not i know where i've got this from I'm, it's because i've been watching that going like on repeat mm. it's like writing when you're reading like it's like your internal monologue uh yeah changes i'm reading uh, or I'm, I'm listening to dominic west narrating remains of the day at the moment and uh, i absolutely 
the book I'm writing is nothing to do with being a butler in the 1920s. Like it's not. <laughs> and somehow the little austere turns of language are making their way in and I have to, I simply have to stop. I have to stop listening because I'm, it's altering my voice. And I think that that's a nice kind of, the absorbency we have is yeah. nice, but we have to be careful across the board because you can, like your sound is adaptable naturally, do you yeah. know? Uh, but uh, yeah, so it's same across the board. And I can imagine like, again, the speed at which it can happen is so uh, blinding. So I'd imagine Williams is a nightmare for it. And because he's an impressionist, because there's like a real natural caricature playfulness that he can very quickly mimic things that kind of come at him. And then it's just a blink and it's done. Whereas that might be a joke that somebody else had written and practiced. And, you know, mm. yeah. like he's a, he's a high speed chameleon, you know? Oh God, I mean... The quality of the cocaine he must have been on. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Nothing like it. Some of Nobody the, moves that speed. You know? Some of the old performances you see of him, you think, oh my God. Like, he must have been up to the eyeballs. I mean, he might not have been, but I mean, he, he's talked openly about his, you know, his, his drug use and his, his problems with substance abuse and stuff. So I'm sure definitely in the early ones, there's a lot where, God, you, you do think this is exhausting to watch, you know, mm. let alone, let alone do. <laughs> like, I remember someone was saying, again, this knowing Robin Williams podcast is very, very good. I highly recommend it. Um, a lot of what I'm going to say historically today is from this. Uh, people were saying basically his costume in the eighties was the sweat was part of his costume. His onstage costume, essentially right. it was how sweaty he was. It was just like inseparable from him. Cause he was like instantly just a very hairy, sweaty man in a Hawaiian shirt. Yes, doing eighty impressions a minute, you know. The, the um, have you heard the story? I think he told it on on Jonathan Ross or a, a chat show, um, when he talked about uh, when he was doing. Oh no, do you know what? No, it was. I'm sure it was him actually. He was getting it. He had to have his back waxed for a role, mm. um, and the uh, the women waxing his back, you know, in the in the green room, the green room, the you know, the makeup room and stuff. Um, halfway through, just stopped and said. Sorry, do you mind if we just have a quick rest? <laughs> <laughs> he was so hairy. He was yeah. Like I think that was one air photo, actually, you had to get waxed for. Yes. Yeah. And that's another one as well that you think, how versatile to really embody mm. this, like, absolute bone-chilling freak. Like, <laughs> And he was also, like, such a... Like a handsome leading man as well. Yeah. Like I watched La Cage au Fall recently, like the Birdcage recently, yeah. and was just like, I did not know that this man was hot. Yeah. I was aware of him through my entire youth, loved Jumanji, fucking yeah. loved Aladdin, was just this benevolent childhood actor. And yeah. then I watched the Birdcage and was like, oh my God, he's the hottest man I've ever seen in my life and a, <laughs> sty- and a style icon. Yes. He is walking around with the full 80s moustache with the open fucking satin shirt and the chains and he is astonishingly attractive and he's playing it completely straight. He's 100% like sincere acting, you know? He's not doing a bit because Nathan Lane is fucking doing a bit against him and to have him as the, to be so controlled and so measured compared to the capering and the like tender sorrowful clown energy that he has everywhere where you would follow him into hell to have him play this extremely serious and very sexy well it's not sexy but he's sexy role uh is his versatility is just through the roof you know like it's it's wild 
you'd think that somebody like him would always want to be I don't mean like in the spotlight. I mean, you think he'd want to be this. Look how funny I am. Look how incredible mm. I am. But actually, he gave Nathan quite- Lane so much space. He just gave so much room yeah. where Nathan Lane and like the tour. And like you're saying that earlier on about him being brilliant on publicity panels and brilliant in interviews is an incredibly yeah. powerful interview that he gives. They're they're you know doing the circuit for this movie. And Oprah makes a remark about Nathan Lane's sexuality, and you can see Robin Williams distracting her from that line of inquiry. Uh, it is absolutely incredible how Oprah does a real fucking targeted question at Nathan Lane, and Robin Williams just capers around it. It's funny. It's like a really, really intelligent distraction technique, and um, completely draws her needling journalistic nosiness away from Nathan Lane and turns it into something really funny. He it was like he it was like watching someone throw themselves in front of a bullet. Um oh. so he obviously really like he gave a lot of himself into that whole thing, you know? Uh, yeah. I that's what I mean. I think that's the he's almost like he's one of the biggest names in comedy, in acting, in Hollywood history, I would say. Like a yeah. beloved. Yeah. And I've never heard anything bad and I've heard so many sort of caring you know stories about him being yeah. such a lovely guy and like you say like sort of emotionally intelligent enough to be like back off essentially back off yeah but, but, but doesn't make the interview like he still remembers he is still operating in showbiz yeah and he's still talking to fucking Oprah yeah but it's just it's just very it's very interesting to watch I'm gonna get I'm gonna watch that straight yeah. away like as a like an act of love to your your fellow actor so it's amazing how he remains so magnetic even in in that film and allows someone else to shine i just i think it's my i think it's my favorite um of his kind of stuff you know even though like i love jumanji and it it brings me like endless joy and it's it's also really weirdly sad film i think um it's really sorrowful and i was like this is um not chill lots of death lots of death in Jumanji. Yeah, a lot of, I mean, some incredible CGI looking back now. Oh my God, the monkeys. <laughs> what the fuck were they thinking, man? Donkey Kong, eat your heart out. Like, I know. But conversely, the spiders are so shit. We watched it last night. The spiders, yeah, the spiders look like they're Halloween, Halloween decorations. They? Yeah. They, look, they look like there's a little light inside them. Like you could just like pick them up and like flick them away. Yeah. They they should have gone for shit CGI for the, the spiders, really. I know. But, um, and I think as well, the... um. I think you can literally tell which scene the lion is just a big sort of fake fur lion and which yes. again switch to CGI. <laughs> the lion is a, is a, a grade above the monkeys who are frightening because they hit the really bad uncanny valley chasm, the mm. the bad the bad part of your brain, you know. So correct on that. I yeah. yeah, they are very ooh, they they yeah. Bad face. Yeah. They look like they fell out of a cursed computer and not out of a cursed board game. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> They're from somewhere. They're like, more man monkeys. Yeah, yeah. It's There's something from, sinister about them. Yeah, like a, an old rotted Nintendo console and not a um, <laughs> not a Jumanji. Yeah, don't like them. Didn't like them one bit. Not at all. Oh. But yeah, Rob Williams is really, like, his whole, like, one, he doesn't show up into the movie until, like, a fucking hour in. Yeah. And two, he's really sad. Yeah. He's really sad. He just wanted his dad to love him. <laughs> yeah. Like he's like he's an incredibly embodied actor and he's very funny 
and joyful and like lot there's a lot that thing he has that the thing he has the glow the yeah exactly the, that basically no one else has but that's a sad story and i don't think i remember that being a sad story no i i didn't I, we, we honestly we were like you know new year's day we'd, we'd gone out i'd done indie amnesty the night before and me and my boyfriend and <laughs> pal jamie was sat in the living room and jamie's a real sort of film buff and he was like right we need films that um are going to be nostalgic for us that remind us of being a kid that's gonna you know get us through this this hangover and we put jumanji on and we were like oh no what a mistake to make <laughs> Like, you just sort of assume because it's absurd and mental and like Robin Williams is in it that you kind of put it in that category in your head, but it's not. Nah, man, you got two sets of dead parents in minute one. Like, it's not fun at all. Lilith is in it, though. Lilith from Frasier. Love a a Lilith appearance. I love Um, that. I love how quickly in that film when you watch it, how quickly everybody just accepts the most, the craziest sort of facts, you know? It's got a nonsense. Yes. It's got a really high nonsense meter. I have very high nonsense. You know. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, he he has that. I think there were. I is it is it pathos where someone is just always holding a just an enormous bag of sorrow that's just beyond. Well, like perception. a lot of the sadder stuff is like drawn from his own life because he was he yeah. grew up like in basically the parish house in Jumanji, and his father was a um, a car CEO, auto CEO. And he was away a lot, and so was his mother. So he was like eating dinner alone at the big table in the big house a lot as a kid. Oh, big context! So, Didn't yeah, know that. Yeah. And also, Mrs. Doubtfire like happened around when he was got divorced from his first wife. I heard that. And he had he also had three kids, and like he made them take out stuff out of Mrs. Doubtfire, where he disparaged the mother of the kids. He was like, "No, we're not doing that. Oh, we're only going to advocate for him. We're not going to disparage the mother." And just basically crossed out huge sections of the script about it. So like, it's in like it's you'd not you would not be expected to know that when you were a kid watching it. And no, it'd be course. weird if you did. But like, it really does add another layer to the whole thing. I think watching watching it back now. Yeah, I would. And it's, that can be that can be my um, the next chapter in my Renaissance, Mrs. Doubtfire, because I didn't watch it too long ago. That's why I did Jumanji and Hook. Mm. Yeah, I, I, we have a well, we have a big episode on on Mrs. Doubtfire, which is again goes pretty hard. Um, and is a beautiful San Francisco movie, I think. It is. I always used to watch it and be like, I want to live there. Mm. It looks incredible. And obviously... People still take photos by the house. Do um, they? Yeah, yeah, near the Haight. It's on the, it's on the edge of a beautiful park. There's like a set of those lovely houses that are kind of the Mrs. Doubtfire houses. Wow. They're near the Grateful Dead house. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's a film that still holds a lot of power because it shows a particular version of the film, because it's a deeply queer film as well. Like, there's a lot of, um, like, local fondness around it, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. That's 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 nice. There's also the uh, Robin Williams Tunnel um, in San Francisco. It's when you're coming out of, when you cross the Golden Gate Bridge and you're going into Marin County. Yeah. It's uh, painted with a rainbow, like his um, Mork suspenders. Oh. Uh, and it's called the Robin Williams Tunnel, officially, is the yeah. name of it. Yeah. Is it? Mm-hmm. Was he from San Francisco? No, I think it was. I don't think originally, but he was. He was from Detroit, but he moved there when he was. And like, he lived in a the teenager. south. He lived in the South Bay, mm. so he yeah. lived in like posh Marin. Like mm. yeah. it's like the most luxurious seaside towns you could humanly imagine. 
really it is so nice up there we only went to like wine country is up there so we only went up a couple of times because it was like eye-wateringly beautiful um but it's full of these lovely little enclaves and small towns and lots of celebs lots of celebs will kind of like have a, a track up there um because it's a it's got adjacency to san francisco but it's not yeah in the city you know i think i've i've only just realized now that i sort of um and this is wrong but i subconsciously respect celebrities more when they don't just live in la (laughs) Mm. oh whenever you hear them buy a montana ranch you're like yeah good get out there yeah 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 Yeah. 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 or like we we live in new york i'm like oh very cool you know yeah (laughs) you've got money money if you live in new york you've got got courage courage if you live in la (laughs) And you're not as you're not as vacuous, which is bad because I'm sure there's a incredible. Oh, they're all vacuous, and uh, New York is vacuous in its own way. You know? <laughs> it is. I went to LA, and I was desperate to go. To, my friend got married in New York, and I was desperate to go to San Francisco. And my pal that I was with really wanted to go to LA, and I'm just easy going, so I was like, "Let's go to LA." And I'm sort of glad I ticked it off, but I, oh, I didn't gel with it. So hard. It's a hard time. Um, didn't just live there for 30 years he's better he's better than that and like the bay is very fond of it sort of like it's it's people who live there the bay area is like part he's like part of the oh hence the tunnel you know and like i I hope you do get to san francisco i will say it is the the most hardcore place in the world it is it is a pretty sad town it's not a it's not a chill environment but it is like it occupies an enormous part of my heart yeah and um yeah, that tunnel thing is just a perfect example of the Bay Area erecting monuments to the people that it loves, especially weird ones like a rainbow tunnel and stuff like that. Like they, they love a um, like a vignette. Do you know what I mean? They yeah. love a, yeah, yeah, a yeah. setup thing. So yeah, he was definitely um, part of the the world there. You know, I'm getting sad about him being dead now. Fuck. I know. I knew it was gonna happen, but like I didn't expect that thing about the tunnel to give me the yeah. The whoosh. It's um, it's weird you say that because I always um, you know, I thought I sort of roll my eyes a bit when um, people do massive long tributes to celebrities publicly when they pass away. I mean, not like a favorite author or someone, but you know, like sometimes I feel there's a there's an element of um, exaggeration and, and stuff like that to it, which is probably me being a, being very cynical, but um. You know, I'm not saying you can't be upset. I'm saying like this the sort of outpouring of it. Sometimes you think, really, you know. But I, mm. um, I, I, I did cry when my I was in. Oh I, yeah, I was visiting my my pal in in Singapore, and obviously the time difference and stuff. And she sort of came into the room. She was like, "Robin Williams has died." I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, it really knocked me. And I yeah, I had a little. I'm going now. I'm welling up now. Um, yeah. shed a little tear and I think we watched you know watched a film of his that night to like the sales of Robin Williams uh, films must have gone through the roof through the roof because mm. yeah. like sadly like I probably hadn't thought about him in a while at that point by 2014 because I, I was looking back at all the films of his I love and it is between like 89 and 2002 kind of yeah he belongs to a moment is his golden period he is like the thing is like Aladdin came out when I was 7 and One Air Photo came out when I was 18 so like yeah right he like he kind of his work grew and matured as i grew and matured into mm. liking it so it's a really specific it's impossible to separate him from like my childhood and teenage years like he's just completely enmeshed in it he's always on a television somewhere in a background yeah if i think about childhood like it's 100 percent. so it totally yes. gets you by surprise yes he is that's actually a really good way of describing it 
It is because like, those three films, Jumanji, Mrs. Doubtfire and Hook, well, I, I mm. must have watched, Oh, Holy Trinity. I must have watched them, honestly, nearly every day at one point. Like, not all three. Yeah. One of those, mm. you know, the school holidays, put the, put the tape on. It was always on. Mm. It was just, like, whenever I see a lime, I always, in the back of my head, I am imagining it hitting Pierce Brosnan in the back of the head, like <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> That's like that was my uh, probably the first place I saw a lime was it hitting Pierce Brosnan in the back of the head. Yeah, it was it, it was that. far from limes we were reared now. Exactly, there weren't know? any fucking limes in Ireland in those years. <laughs> there were. I'm not joking. You know, oh, genuinely, there weren't. <laughs> genuinely, um, I'm looking at the list of cartoons he was in. He was in fucking Fern Gully. Like he really? was you, yeah, he was ubiquitous. Do you know what I mean? He was around, and I think that like he then becomes a kind of a genie in himself, like an eternal kind of specter in their childhood televisions. And he's warm and he's funny and he's silly and he's playful. And then when you get older and you see him in other things, he's either super frightening or super hot. Yeah, I'm just looking at his his films now because you're right. Actually, I've not seen a couple of his later ones. Like that, like absolutely anything. I mean, it looks like he wasn't a huge part of that, to be fair. But no. I've not even heard of that. That came out. No, and it's like Simon Pegg, the Monty Python people, Eddie Izzard, and Robert Williams were all in this film that came in 2015. Never heard of it. Ever. That's great. I looked it up today. Yeah. God, you're right. He is so much more prolific than even I thought of. And I, but I think I- character actors get to be like, char- he, like, <sighs> Actors were cut differently then. Yeah, I think... And cinema was cut differently then. Yeah, I think people like, way more... Uh, they were fine with taking a risk. Yeah, and mm. I mean, now we would be seeing him as some misfortunate CGI tennis ball creation in fucking a Marvel movie, you know? Whereas the the way that he... The kinds of parts that he played and the way that he was, it just belongs to a different... Yeah. Different time. The same man that was in Flubber is the man that has made... Oh my God, Flubber. ...in Goodwill Hunting, in that scene. Mm. You know? Flubber was so... I want to see Flubber in the cinema. Yes! <laughs> yeah. I, I remember it well. I was so excited for it to come out. I remember... Do you know, I haven't seen Dead Poets Society and I fucking should. I watched it a couple of years ago and uh, it's... Oh, it's a it's a biggie. Don't watch yeah. it on a Saturday. Don't watch it on a Saturday. No hangovers mm. for that one. I don't think so. No, I think Dead Poet Society and Goodwill Hunting, yeah, probably more Dead Poet Society, but it's no Goodwill Hunting. Maybe no, it's it's sort of the Robin Williams that we all like to think he's not really acting. That he would be that person that would change your life and always has the answers and sort of mm. it's like a bit of an oracle. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like his, there's a. Look. I think his voice does when he's being sincere, where it kind of. It always becomes a hug. I don't know how if I'm saying mm. this right, but there is a the way he says Al when he's uh, when he lets him go in Aladdin. Yes, there's a Robin Williams. Oh. I can. I, this is very like synesthetic of me. There's like a little curve in his voice you can oh fall my into. God. Yes, you know. Yes. Yeah. 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 Apparently, in Aladdin, they just told Robin the the plot. It wasn't a script for him. <laughs> And the rest of it was a script. And then when it was the genie, it just says, Robin does his thing here. Oh, my God. I think it wasn't eligible for Best Screenplay at the Oscars because he improvised so much of it. <gasps> really? There's no fucking screenplay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I've heard that one. Possibly in our Aladdin episode, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. 
I, to me, I think that's still my favorite Disney film. You like when mm. everybody loves The Lion King, but for me, it's Aladdin. Oh, it's Aladdin! Like I say, for me, mm. it's, I, 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 I oscillate a bit between Beauty and the Beast and uh, Aladdin and uh, Robin Hood and Sword of the Stone, like the OGs. But yeah. um, I would Aladdin was huge. Aladdin was so much fun. Aladdin had so much. It was such a caper, it you was. know. And, and you it was Williams to fancy Aladdin as well. He was on a an anime. Rush. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was utterly devastating at the end as well. Like, it's just such a great like, and I again, it's you're right. It's that curve in the sound of him when he's not being incredibly silly. There's something really powerful in the sincerity that he sort of unlocks. Yeah, like it's just this master of of like emotional dualism. Like, it's... he can change the mood, sort of. You know, turn on a six. Oh yeah, turn on a six. Completely change like the the mode of something in a in a cartoon about a demon absolute insanity but i I think that was one of the first sort of celebrity voices in in cartoons like oh yeah he he kick-started it yeah yeah totally i think i was gonna say i thought he what he was the first but i didn't want to be um too presumptuous that but yeah i think it was but i guess especially in our lifetimes as well the first time you can go that man from that movie is the genie in Aladdin. Yeah, exactly. And um, that's always what it went back to. Like, I, co- I couldn't tell you who anybody in Beauty and the Beast was. Do you know? And I have really bad celebrity face blindness as well. Like, I don't know who half these people are most of the time. I'm really, <laughs> really, really bad at keeping track of faces and names, which is why I work on That's why I have a pop culture podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> so good at remembering who people are. But um, Rob Williams... I guess maybe part of it is that our earliest exposures to him was as this, like, you've never had a friend like me. Yeah. Oh, that, you is, know? that is an actual banger. Yeah, mm. banger, right? Sorry, I'm getting emotionally thinking about it. Like, what is that? How, what is that power? The crescendo of it is, like, is incredible. Oh. And he was also yeah. a lovely singer. Can he say yeah? Do you think he was brilliant? Oh yeah, he was able. He sang the fucking song. Like he sang. Oh god, hang on. Wait, am I telling lies? Did he sing the song, or did somebody who yeah. sound like him sang the song? Surely, don't, surely. surely. Don't, don't do this to now, me. Robin. Yeah, um, we should do a Disney cruise corner because there is a live Aladdin show on one of the Disney ships. Um, <gasps> and I did actually start crying during that when the genie came out, and like you immediately think of Robin Williams. And then that performer has such a hard job to make you not think about Robin Williams again for the rest of the show. Yeah. And they generally do it because they they update all the references. Because I like, think about like the genie was he was throwing out a lot of references and they're contemporary references. So it would be not make sense for him to be talking about Groucho Marx and like Johnny Carson now. So they talk about like Star Wars and Marvel instead. But um, they generally do quite a good job of like letting you get your sadness out quite early on and then yeah. moving on. But like never had a friend like me it with live is just an overwhelming experience because they have like everybody's dressed they like all the dancers come out in genie costumes as well and they're all there's like they're doing the multiple genie thing and like they're throwing every special effect they have at you yeah. for this four minutes it's really really cool yeah they must really be like tried. engage everything so that they don't yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's like people doing somersaults people finding the ceiling yeah yeah, yeah stuff exploding like, <laughs> just to make them feel better <laughs> <laughs> Did you Lights do- and colours do make me feel better personally. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I was just checking there. I do, I do actually think that was Rob Williams singing. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Sounded too much like him, I think. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So basically there's nothing this man can't do. No. Yeah. 
that's what we've essentially realised. Get you a man who can do it all. Yeah. Get you a man who can Does do he... both and all. Uh, I've heard, learned something from this podcast today, uh, which is, you know, there's like plays and like performances in theatre runs you wish you could, could see and you, just, you missed it, like say like Andrew Scott doing Hamlet or whatever like that. Yeah. Um, Robin Williams and Steve Martin did Waiting for Godot in the 80s. Did they? Where they were allowed to improvise as well. No. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> which seems like one of those things that sounds made up, but like. That is bananas. Yeah. God, every every word in that sentence just keeps getting better. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I have um, the greatest cultural blind spot I'm in possession of is that I don't really get Steve Martin um, oh. because I just never grew up with him um, in anything. I was just not aware of him, really, other than in Father of the Bride, which I didn't really like because I was a small child. Um and I I know that Steve Martin makes people feel the same way Robin Williams makes people feel, but yeah, just, I was I just the same as you. Them. Then I read his autobiography, Born Standing Up, oh, and which yeah. gave me all the context I needed for him. And then I was like, because again, if you if you're our age, your first encounter with him is in like schmaltzy family films. Yeah, but you go back to his stand up, and he is like genuinely breaking every single rule there is, and be in a kind of inimitable way. Robin Williams said again, so it's like. It's cool. I would recommend Steve Martin's book. Also, uh, it's also making making me sad that Robin Williams never got to be in Only Murders in the Building because that would have been perfect. All of the sort of missed opportunities that you mm. you can imagine him on now. Yeah, yeah. As a seventy three year old, like she would be this year. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we never got that final, you know, phase. Well, you know, yeah, the five final movement. Mm. Yeah, imagine, I like to think that he would have rejected James Corden for you know comedians doing karaoke, whatever. It is. Mm. My God, I would I really like to, like to have seen that. Yeah. I like to think he would have been on, uh, you know, on everyone else's on everyone's side. <laughs> yeah, we'd like to think that he would have grown or remained progressive and lovely. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I think but you he, can't tell. I think he was. I think he like. Oh I, yeah. Because I was, I was a bit nervous. Um, so, this sounds so selfish. I was a bit kind of nervous when he when he passed away that you know there might be some stories that came out or and there was nothing, nothing, mm. nothing. Uh, there was some Islamophobic stand up after nine eleven, um, oh, no. which it... is touched on. But um, but yeah, besides that, like and obviously the, you know, he did cheat on his wife a lot in the eighties and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, yeah. I could, I could. On, the, on the scale of men, you know. Yeah. yeah. He's okay. Yeah. On the scale of male performers at the absolute top of their game, mm. decades in which it seems like misogyny was actively encouraged, he's come out relatively okay. <laughs> <laughs> and remains beloved. And I think a lot of that is the power of the good spirit in all of his work. Yeah. Like the real, like, warmth. There's also a lovely video of him on Sesame Street, which are if you're ever in the humor for a big cry. Yes. Okay. Him and Elmo. Oh. Unbelievable mm. scenes. Unbelievable scenes. Now, I bet he's like talking to the children, Elmo. and he's, you know, his famous quote of, um, "You have a, you only have a tiny bit of, you only have a tiny spark of madness, and you mustn't lose it." Um, is uh, is always what I think. I always think he would, you know, if he was like you. 
your dad or your uncle or something, you'd you'd constantly feel that magic. That's what you'd like to think, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I'm sure he, you know, I'm sure he got pissed off, and you know, when he had to go out and get milk or whatever. But like, it, you just imagine him as this constantly mischievous, like this look in his eye of this mm. warm dude. Yeah. Apparently, he was very shy. Um, Chris Gethard told a story about when he used to turn up to UCB to like just step in on like the improv shows, yeah. and apparently, very shy off stage. Really, and like very like. Could you, would you mind if I like stood in or like yes Robin Williams that would be fine. Yes, Robin Williams. <laughs> that would be fine um yeah I think he used to turn up to the comedy store in London quite a lot and you know they'd have a full bill but they'd be like you're on you say? Mm. I don't think you could I don't think he ever got the light you know to say two minutes <laughs> yeah. I think even if you did light him he would just do what he wanted mm. and can you imagine I mean I remember I've, I've still never played that one of the only clubs in London I've never done. I've still never played the comedy store. And I went there, you know, before I'd even started stand up and, uh, you know, and go used to go and watch shows there. And the thing on the wall that, you know, made me well up was, was Robin Williams's photo of him on stage mm. there. Um, and just thinking, God, imagine popping down there on a Wednesday to just see what's on or something. And, and Robin it's Williams comes Williams, out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who would lose like, your shit? Who do we get now that's like that? Is I know. The thing. Yeah. Like, they don't quite cut them like that anymore, I don't think. You no, know? it's almost like there's more people that are sort of 80% of that, but there's more mm. of them. So there's not this, you know, oh my God, this person is sort of barely human. They're so incredible. Mm. Or just sort of like a more very good performers. Yeah. Yeah. Especially nobody who's doing like family friendly stuff and serious stuff. And then it's also maintaining themselves as a stand up as well. Yeah. Okay, there's no, and there's also like, no real outlet for that, I suppose, anymore either. Do you know no. what I mean? Like, yeah. there's no, like, that the kind of cinema that he was in, like I said earlier, that, that doesn't, there's no weird middle of the road Jumanji's hooks. Like, that's not. We said, we were talking on when we watched Jumanji, we were like, this wouldn't get made today. Absolutely not. Like Mrs. Doubtfire. No. Oh my god! No, Mrs. Doubtfire would certainly not get made today, for better or for worse. Yeah. Well, they made a new Jumanji, but they had to put the rock in it. Like they couldn't let it. There you go. A rock yeah. Williams in it. And it wasn't, wasn't it kind of. It was like like I say live action, as if Jumanji was a cartoon, but like all kind of like po faced Jumanji or something. Like because I've not seen it, but I've seen it was on the other night and I saw like four minutes of it or something. I think the, the cover only... gives me the impression it takes place in a jungle. Yeah. The only but then way that's, that you could I think do that's it... Rock's contract. He has to be in a jungle Always. for his films, I think. Yeah. yeah but the only way that you could do a Jumanji now in the same way, I guess I know Hook is Peter Pan, blah, blah, blah. But the only way that you could do it now is if it was in keeping with an existing franchise. You couldn't just start a Jumanji now. You couldn't just do a completely, like the way that Hook feels nothing feels but also of course nothing feels like that anymore because we are in our 30s so yes keep that in mind and i i have to like expecting movies to feel like magic anymore at our big age is fucking wild behavior frankly so maybe hmm? sorry i think that's why when something does come along that you feel a bit of that feeling for you cling to it don't you yes like a lifeboat yeah. Um, but I think there's very little room for funny little middle of the road family capers yeah. anymore that are outside of franchises um, and the House of Mess. So it's very 
fun. It's a funny time. So yeah. I don't know what Williams will be doing. Like I said, I'm pretty sure he will be talking to a tennis ball in a Marvel movie. Yeah. You know, I don't think he or would be voicing a CGI person in a Marvel movie. Like, I don't know. You know what he would be amazing on? And I hope I like to think he would have done it. A judge on Drag Race. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Can my God. Imagine how much he would love it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The biggest yes, especially like as a San Francisco like adjacent person. Like my God, I'd say that man's opinion on drag is yeah, like (laughs) delightful. Yeah, I would love to just speak to all the people that he you know hear all the real stories kind of thing of when they were when he was on the circuit and when he was. I mean, he used to go. He's got an incredible bit when he's he's talking very openly about his um his addictions and his, mm. his like alcohol abuse and stuff like that. And at this point, I think he's been, um, he's been sober for quite a while and he's just turning it into this bit where you're crying with laughter at something that is essentially a man telling you this is, this was my darkest hour about his, mm. uh, his brain switching off because, you know, it's, it, I think the thing he says is like, okay, when I've done X amount of drugs and Y amount of booze, you know, my brain's like, okay, we're sh- we're leaving now. You're about to fuck a goat. Come on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't be here for this. No, 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 no. Uh, and he's just talking about, you know, being uh, being out for like four days at a time. And you're like, and the, the chronic shyness that you mentioned is quite interesting because a lot of those sort of greats, that you would never, you could never assume that they would be shy or doubting of themselves in any way. Mm. It's almost like they really. That's why they they were so extreme when you know essentially the escape was presented to them, like mm. drugs and booze and and something that basically takes away that shyness, that feeling of like, I know I'm I know I'm probably half decent at this, but I can't I can't actually put yeah. No, there's um there's a Terry Pratchett thing where one of the characters uh, is an alcoholic when we first meet him and he describes himself as being when he's sober he's two drinks below where normal people are personality wise so he needs two drinks to just feel yeah. on the same level as everybody else and I whenever I like, totally identify with that which is why I don't drink very much <laughs> that could become a thing um but I think yeah that's possibly where Robin Williams was as well where like yeah. he he used to lock lock himself in his his um dressing room for. 30 to 40 minutes before each show and nobody was allowed in like completely alone yeah. and nobody knows what he did there what his routine was but there's some something worked for him that he was doing there alone in those 30 40 minutes and you have to imagine you know shouting probably mm-hmm. screaming running around a bit jumping up and down yeah but, um, I, yeah i gigged with um dylan morin uh last no but, but about a year and a half ago wow. he and he's like my you know my hero. I mean, yeah. absolutely love him. So I was obviously desperate to play it cool. Um, and he was um, someone that, again, a bit like Robin Williams, you imagine them to sort of turn up and get on stage and say whatever comes into their head. And of course, it's brilliant. But of course, real genius is there's so much work into that. And he was yeah. doing almost like, um, like it wasn't Tai Chi. But it was kind of like Tai Chi esque movements backstage mm. when he was prepping to go on, and I could tell that he obviously wanted to be like left alone and stuff. And I thought that's incredible. That is literally just almost starting to move your prepping to move your body slightly differently and nonchalant on stage to make. I mean, it might not have been that, but that's that's what my interpretation of what the prep was. You know, it's like all mm. to be this incredibly 
you know, loose, chilled, you know, that, like that prep, that sort of facade. And like, yeah, Robin Williams was probably like meticulously going through, not necessarily what he's going to say, but like how he was going to get into the stage persona kind of thing mm. um, before you go on. That's why I like emceeing quite a lot because you don't, you, it's, there's the least amount of embodiment uh, and like transformation. You get yeah. to actually be like a conduit between yeah sort of creatures yeah. yeah yeah you're a little bit more free and you're a little bit more relaxed because you're you're relying you're talking to other people you know you're relying on mm. like what they're gonna say um, like i'm a, a baby stand i've only done like maybe maybe 30 40 gigs ever in my life so Ooh, i didn't know this yeah but like i still like i have a script and i'm sticking to it that's it and i can see the people who are on the next level up they feel comfortable just hanging out on stage. And I'm like, I can tell if that's an, a level yeah. above where I'm at, where like you can, you, you're comfortable, you can go up and just like hang out with someone on stage. And then there's like the next level again, where Robin Williams is, where it's like, that's your house, you know, <laughs> people have come to your house yeah. and you are, they're there for you and you own this place. And it's like, yeah, you can tell. That's a, That's such a brilliant way of putting it as well. It's like, you've gone to watch him, but actually like, you have entered his home. He hasn't come mm. to entertain you. Like he would be doing this. You get the feeling he'd be doing this if he'd never made it. Mm. You, know, you get the feeling he'd be doing it in little clubs in San Francisco, molecularly altering the room around people and yeah. making yeah. them laugh so hard that their entire body hurts. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think like he has to do it. Kind of thing. I think we throw around genius a lot. Like we do, like playfully call people geniuses or or refer to people as icons or iconic like it's just part of our kind of general communication in terms of like hyperbole and, and affection as well for for creators but i think quite genuinely there are very few people who have ever moved through entertainment who have that impact that impactful lasting sense of capital g genius yeah like yeah. i mean it's uh i do i do think of him and and of Billy Connolly. Mm, definitely were, Connolly. Yeah. Yeah. But even even I mean, my sort of heart lies with Billy Connolly, but even when you think about Robin Williams, I mean I don't know, actually Billy Billy Connolly's an incredible serious actor as well. So yes, incredible mm. actor. And also it also profoundly carrying tragedy as well. Yeah. I think I remember being a kid and seeing Robin Williams and I don't actually can't genuinely remember if it was Robin Williams or Billy Connolly I was talking to my parents about it and my dad saying kind of almost explaining what depression was to me yeah yeah like being like oh this person is actually part of why he is very funny is because he's very sad yeah i think I'm very well, troubled you know i think my dad would never have said something like like very troubled he's very troubled but he still yeah. uses his troubles to turn turn them into laughter you know yeah definitely and i think i think he's one of the it's interesting you say that i think he's one of the first famous people that um i was aware suffered with depression yeah same yeah 100 percent. so he must have been fairly open about that in a time where people i can't remember anybody else now that I've, i mean i'm on the spot but kind of i can't remember anybody else being as as open about it but you know now mental health is talked about all the time which is a great thing but it wasn't then though Oh, it wasn't. And I think it's much maybe it was much easier for people like comedians and especially people who might have spoken about addiction you talk about depression in the context of addiction I guess 
and maybe that's maybe how it trickled down to us again as children yeah. but like the sorrowful clown is a tale as old as time right but like the subject matter that Connolly and Williams talked about kind of like well, not Williams but like I, I wouldn't have seen his stand-up book de- definitely Billy Connolly is like streaked with darkness yeah absolutely. like absolutely it's not really concealed it's with him on the stage and with him when he talks yeah and maybe that's what it is with Williams as well where it's just it's right there underneath the silliness it's barely out of view is the pain yeah you know I think that's what you know like most sitcoms or most um and I think it's even harder to do with live comedy is most most brilliant comedy has a serious either message or point or moment of, of pathos or gravitas yeah. in it you, that makes you think I don't know why it's almost like then it makes it funny because it gives you the, the live comparison you know that's mm. that's the thing but and I think that is why those guys are are so brilliant and I'm sure there was loads of other comics that weren't even quite successful but they were you know they were famous or whatever that were that were concealing this but like really concealing it and they didn't they kind of they it were like just there yeah this is what happened um this is what happened to me this is how i grew up this was the attitude at the time this was how we were thought of this is how i was treated and it's really refreshing i think when you look back that you don't you know even i've like only sort of actually thought about that actively now even though I've always known, I've read loads of, you know, Billy Connolly's books and stuff like that. And I've always known about Robert Williams, but I've, because I'm so normalized to it now, at the time we actually weren't, but these guys were just, were open books really. Yeah. And the same as Anthony, Anthony, I know Anthony Bourdain wasn't a comic, but like, it's that same, like these sort of godfathers of, of the screen and of, of different mediums, but like where the, the pain is in the room with us. And yeah. it's just out of line of sight with Williams, but there's no way. I mean, again, even thinking of Jumanji, which I watched today, like it's just he can tip from one place to another with way too much ease. And I think that that is a gift born from something else. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think as sometimes as a, as a comedian, you know, I am I've had, you know, touch wood. I've had I've never suffered really any huge tragedy i've never gone through something life-altering you know yet um uh but i sometimes think wow the the is that is the fact that i've had a nice life and i'm not gonna like gonna hinder gonna hinder me and that that sounds that sounds so much worse when i said it out loud than the you know like i don't want anything bad to happen to me but uh, it's an extra level of genius when sadly something has and you can turn it into gold you know you can let you can know i don't know and those guys are all much older than us too do you know what i mean yeah that's the other thing like life comes at all of us but I, i i don't think so i actually don't think that i feel like this about writing as well where it's just like i actually don't think the good art has to come from pain do you know i think it comes from perspective but i'm not sure it comes from pain but with those guys i feel like it's the it's the poison chalice yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you want that poison chalice. I think you can be plenty brilliant yeah. without that spectre hanging around you. It's actually, there's so many parallels between Robin Williams and Billy Connolly, even in terms yeah. of, their, um, you know, they've talked about sort of, you know, childhood trauma and and, and the way they were brought up, you know, different ways, different kind of um, 
different kind of sort of like working class pain and, and what sounds like Robin Williams actually had quite a lonely but privileged mm. upbringing. And then both of them struggling with addiction, both of them quitting, I think, not too far apart from each other. Mm. And, both, and both even, they like Robin Williams was diagnosed with Parkinson's at the end of his life and Billy Connolly had Parkinson's. It's, a, it's quite strange actually how... Yeah how parallel their lives have been um in, you know in some ways obviously i'm, I'm drawing yeah. the past, but like you should <laughs> come back to us and talk about billy connelly at some point actually be really nice oh, to do an episode that. of billy connelly I love that yeah he he's incredible he's the i've sort of i've ticked off all of my comedy heroes and i've gigged with you know the, one, the ones that are alive and uh yeah. the only one i've never gigged with is billy connelly and sadly i think you know that's he doesn't yeah. do the gigs anymore so I'll try. I'll just have to try and meet him. And you that, will. Yeah. That will, be, that will be the. That will be just the. to get to say thanks. That's the way I always feel about meeting yeah. heroes, Mike. Just to get to say thanks and. Yeah. That'd be it. Yeah. Just. To, just I always used to watch his. Uh, his stand up. If I'd had a breakup when I was a teenager or something. Oh. I'd got dumped straight straight on. Put Billy Connolly on. <laughs> so funny. I still when I come back when I'm like come in from a stormy day especially today i'm like windswept and interesting like he is in fact he has like yeah, all the inf- time. infected me there's yeah. no such thing as um yeah as bad weather he just bad clothes he just put on a sexy raincoat like he's in my head all the time like a benevolent always- genie only a different kind of benevolent yeah. genie you know i think there's uh, there is i always bring that into even my like day-to-day language i always think there's like there's sexy raincoat people and there's yeah that don't leave the house and that's an allegory for basically making the best of something <laughs> absolutely there is yes please come and do a full Billy Conley retrospective oh, with us because absolutely. the partner the, the companion episode to Robin Williams yeah <laughs> a duology yes exactly yeah the, amazing uh, the original brothers of comedy yeah the okay. godfathers that's, that sounds perfect um, should we leave it there for Robin Williams for now then I think so I know Alexander you have places to be very busy person oh yeah yeah but all good but yeah yeah that was a loop uh, i feel very please. emotional now and i don't want to go out and do a gig yeah <laughs> none of us have fully cried that's so true. Yeah, that's, we haven't yeah. fully fully cried so oh, i cried earlier successful. when i was researching so it's fine <laughs> cried yeah. earlier got it yeah. <laughs> yeah alex please plug anything you want to plug uh, this episode's going out on the first of february for oh, if you, for perfect. stuff um, yeah yeah, well, I'm uh, I'm on tour right now at the moment. Uh, listening to this as it comes out, I'm uh, if you if you follow me on on Instagram, Alexandra Haddo, just all all one word, you'll see all the tickets for the tour. The show is called Not My Finest Hour. It's about something bad that I did, um, and uh, yeah, it's going everywhere. I'm really hoping to add uh, an Irish date, hopefully. So. Please do. do. Oh my yeah. God, come. Eat I'll have it. a spare room soon. So, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm going to um, Kilkenny Comedy Festival as well. And perform oh, amazing. Yeah, in uh, I think it's end of May. It's like May, bank holiday, June. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Ooh, 30 minutes away from me. Perfect. There and, and, uh, and I'll be extending my trip like I did last time I was over there. Cause it was... Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you very much. Uh, Sarah, please. Where can we find you? Uh, I'm not on Twitter anymore. Um, I'm on Instagram at Sarah Grifsky and I'm on the clock app under the same name. I do have very serious professional news, which I may have announced by February 1st, 
but I don't know if I have yet or not. So <laughs> I'm just going to say things are coming. Um, They're coming um soon. That's, uh, I, would, I would go out of my way to find out what that was now. That the, ah, <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> Maybe people will. People who enjoy reading with their eyes. Maybe people enjoy reading things. Uh, Alan, what about you? Um, well, I'm not on Twitter anymore either. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Blue Sky. Juvenilia is on everything because, you know, you have to. Uh, Juvenilia Pod or Juvenilia in all the apps. Uh, we have a Patreon where we talk about things we've started and finished recently. Yes. Uh, which is very good. We're going to be talking about the traders. Oh, very we soon really are. We're going to have to talk about the traders. Yeah. I need to get uh, I'm the only person in the UK that is watching it. That's a hangover it's, cure. It is. So, yes. You have a, you have a slow mm-hmm. morning. You just curl up with Claudia Winkleman and watch her do her excellent Richard O'Brien impression away to a magical Scottish castle. It's unbelievable. It's so oh, yeah. stressful. Clarify <laughs> for the listeners that I didn't mean that Ireland was in the UK. It's just my turn of phrase. Oh, no, 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 no. No, it's all good. We got you. But thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Yes, thank um, you. I'm going to get people tweeting me being like, yeah, because I'm not really, I'm, I'm on Twitter technically, but I don't really use it as much anymore. Uh, what else we need to say oh thank you Dean McDonald for our work thanks thank Dave. you to Cassie and Tall Tales for having us thanks, and thank you again else. to Alexandra Haddow for coming on let us talk about Robin Williams and not crying not <laughs> crying <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> bye everybody bye